Well, I want to thank our uh, worship arts ministry, orchestra, choir, rhythm section, Jeff. Uh, they had, uh, they, and, and some of them may not even know it, but on Friday, I kind of changed up their plans a little bit um, because I wanted all this stuff to stay in here uh, so that you could see uh, everything that, that, uh, that we had this week and kind of get a taste of Vacation Bible School. And uh, that kind of shook things up a little bit. Uh, and uh, it was Friday after the morning worship rally or the, the, the morning vacation Bible school. And, and we were standing there and I said, let's just keep all this, you know, just like, like, let's just keep it. And uh, Jeff said, okay, we'll keep it. He said, you know, two weeks ago, if we would have planned for that, it would have been a lot easier. But hey, we'll keep it, you know. So he did a great job of Justin. Thank you, Jeff, uh, on that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 8. We're starting a new series called Red Letter. Um, y'all know the red letter parts of the Bible, right? What are the red letter parts? Jesus' words. And, and, uh, and, and over the next several weeks, we're going to be focusing in on the, the red letter parts of Scripture. We're going to see what Jesus has to say to us. So we're we're going to focus in mostly in the Gospel of Mark, maybe not exclusively, but primarily in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, as we look at the culture in which we live, boy, it's important for us to hear from Jesus, isn't it? Uh, I, I've got to tell you, though, uh, we, we uh, have all these things that are happening in D.C. and Supreme Courts and, and decisions and things like that. And they can confuse us, drive us crazy, think the end of the world is about to happen. Boy, I pray that the end of the world is about to happen. That means Jesus is coming back, and I'm all about that. So, I mean, I, Jesus come quickly come, right? I mean, Maranatha and all that. I mean, I'm all about that. But, but uh, let's understand that the, the state of the culture uh, of the 21st century is uh, no more depraved or, or uh, out of whack than it was in the first century AD. Um, there was uh, every bit as much, if not worse, um, stuff happening in first century AD uh, when the church was birthed and grew from 150 people sitting in an upper room to 3,000 in a day, to 3,500, to 8,500, and then to multitudes upon multitudes that literally, according to Acts chapter 17, turned the world upside down. That happened in a culture that was every bit as decayed as our culture. So many of us will spend a lot of our time watching our news stations and listening to news anchors, or we'll listen to radio and and listen to what they had to say. And we focus in on what they had to say. And we think doom, gloom, everything's bad. And nothing's going to be good. And I've got, I've got to tell you something. Uh, I'm going to listen to what Jesus has to say first. Uh, you can spend a lot of time listening to Bill, o, Bill O'Reilly or Chris Matthews. And you can get a perspective there. But I'm not going to listen to them nearly as much as I'm going to go to the words of Jesus Christ and find my victory every day in the words that he has to share with me. Friends, there is nothing that can overturn or overthrow the church except for the church ceasing to be the church that Christ has called her to be. We need to hear this. Rome cannot overthrow the church. It cannot legislate or moralize the church out of existence. Rome being a metaphor for Washington, D.C. <laughs> uh, I didn't call it Babylon, right? 
I'm just kidding. Y'all, really. Hey. It wasn't able to do it in the 50s or the 60s or the 70s or the 80s or the 90s. Not in 2000. Not in 2010. It won't be able to do it today and it won't be able to do it ever. We live in a culture that may be decaying, but friends, the church will not die. It cannot be overthrown by persecution or anything. By the way, we as a church are not being persecuted. Please, let's understand, we're not being persecuted. When you're killed for your faith, that's called persecution. Not when somebody says you shouldn't believe that or calls you some sort of uh, uh, bigot because you believe a certain way. They're just calling you names. That's not persecution. That's second grade recess. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Um, we, we need to pull on our big boy pants. I, I'm serious. And as a church, we need to stand up. We need to stand strong for the, 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 the truth of the gospel and the verity of God's word. We need to stand strong with that. But let's not cry baby around and say we're being persecuted because somebody calls us an ugly name. When they pull out a Glock and shoot us in the head because of our faith, that's called persecution. And that's happening around the world, but it's not happening in America. Okay? So let's just put everything on perspective. I know I don't like to be called names either. Most times I don't like to be called names. Um, but, but let's not call it persecution. Secondly, uh, Jesus is very clear. The gates of hell shall not overthrow the church it's not going to happen the only thing that's going to overthrow us as a family of faith is when we cease to be the church that Christ has called us to be that's when Jesus removes the lampstand and that's because you and I cease to function like the church so we can scream all day at those outside but the real the real stuff is happening right here we need to make sure that we are the people of God that Christ has called us to be. And that's where Mark chapter 8 comes in. Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 21, Jesus is confronting his disciples. But we got to get there for a second. Uh, and I am well aware of the time, so y'all just be patient with me. I'm going to get to where we need to go, and we're going to do it in a fashion that is uh, not too quick, but not too slow. Okay? Not too quick, but not too slow. Uh, if you were to look at the beginning of Christ's ministry as reported in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, uh, Mark says that Jesus came through Galilee preaching the kingdom of God, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And here's what he said. This was the message that he declared. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and believe on the gospel of the kingdom. Now, that, that is a simple message that Jesus declared, and that is the message that you and I must declare. As a church, as long as we're faithful to that message and fulfilling that mission, then there is nothing that anyone can do outside of us that will overthrow us. That's not just a New Testament pattern. We see that in all corners of the globe where the government stood up, rose up, and said, we're going to stamp out this thing called Christianity. They've been trying to do it for century after century after century after century. And in China, the church grew and burgeoned underneath the ground uh, in, 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 in the darkness and in the shadows in such a way that, that, that nothing could stop the church now. And friends, if things get bad here, church will thrive in America too. 
as long as we're faithful to the mission and the message that God has given us. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, and he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, uh, and believe on the gospel of God. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Boy, we need to be faithful in doing that. So that's his mission. That's his message. And, and then his modus operandi would go to village and hamlet, and he would preach, he would teach, and he would heal. He'd do all these things, miraculous things, that, that people would take note of. At the end of chapter 7, Mark chapter 7, we see Jesus has done a, a teaching ministry, and he's done uh, uh, miracles. He's healed people, given sight to the blind, lame to walk, and, and that kind of thing. And, and it's been miraculous. And then at the beginning of chapter 8, we have the recording of Christ feeding the 4,000. Now, this is not to be confused with Christ feeding the 5,000. He had already fed the 5,000. This is another account where he feeds the 4,000. Now, when he fed the 5,000, there were how many loaves and how many fish? Five barley loaves and how many fish? It's a slow fishing day. Five loaves, two fish. And uh, when he fed the multitudes, he, he took those five loaves, he took those two fish, he multiplied them, fed the multitude. They had 12 baskets of food left over. Here in Mark chapter 8, beginning verse 1, we see Jesus feeding the 4,000. Again, similar type story. Jesus is walk, uh, teaching and he sees 4,000 people. He says, man, they've got to be hungry. I feel sorry for them. Tell them, sit down, let's feed them. And they found seven loaves of bread and a few fish. And Jesus took the seven loaves of bread and the few fish, and he fed the 4,000. Interestingly enough, when Jesus fed the 4,000, there were seven baskets left over. Uh, and he had more stuff to work with. He had seven loaves and few fish. When he fed the 5,000, he had fewer loaves and fewer fish and more people, and he had more baskets left over. I mean, he was just trying to be extravagant. Don't you love it when Jesus is extravagant? Anyway, so, so here's the miracle that has taken place. Now we pick up in Mark chapter 8, beginning verse 11. Now Jesus had fed the multitude. He gets in a boat. He drifts over uh, across uh, the sea uh, of Galilee. And then, beginning verse 11, then the Pharisees, when he landed on the seashore in the region of uh, Dalmanatha, uh, the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with Jesus seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit, and he said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them, uh, and, and uh, getting in the boat again, departed to the other side. And the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they didn't have more than one loaf with them in the boat. There's a, you might write irony in the margin. Verse 16, irony. That's a great place for irony. Then, they, uh, then Jesus charged them, or verse 14, then Jesus charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the Herod. And they reasoned among themselves saying, it's because we have no bread. And Jesus being aware of it said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still Hardened. We'll stop right there. Now, here, uh, just set the scenario that the Pharisees 
had come to Jesus and they were testing him. They were debating with him. Uh, they did not believe that he was the Messiah. They didn't believe that he was the inbreaking of God's kingdom. They did not repent and believe on the gospel of the kingdom of God as represented in Jesus Christ. They refused to believe on Jesus. That was their, um, uh, that was their commitment. Their commitment was, we're not going to believe on Jesus. It is interesting, I have to say, it is interesting uh, that Jesus um, sees the hardest hearts of those who are the most religious. I, I, and, and read the Gospels and see if you come to a different conclusion. The most religious are the ones who have the hardest of hearts. And can I humbly suggest, and as a pastor, might I suggest that there are some of you sitting here in this room today who are good Baptists, follow the Baptist faith and message and traditions. You've been a member of this church for weeks, months, or years, even decades, some of you. You are moral. You are politically conservative. And you are refusing to believe on Jesus as Lord and Savior. You're religious. But you have never been transformed by a relationship with Jesus Christ. And might I humbly suggest and plead with you today. Will you allow the Spirit of God to melt your heart? so that you might believe on Jesus today and have your life changed, your sin forgiven, and your eternity secured. The Pharisees came to Jesus. They were seeking a sign. Really what they were trying to do is they were saying, Jesus, what you've done up to this point is insufficient. My goodness, he had just fed 4,000 people and they're looking for a sign from heaven. It reminds you of the children of Israel in the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 16, we see that, that the children of Israel are crybabying around. I don't mean to make light of it, but it seems like they're crybabying around. Uh, the Hebrew term for complaining is crybabying around. Uh, they were crybabying around about, uh, about not having food. You know, they, they sat and they were reminiscing about Egypt. They were saying, oh, in Egypt we had vats of food and everything was fine. Of course, they were in chains, but, you know. And so they were complaining, crybabying around against God, saying, we don't have food. You know what God does? He said, all right. And he rains down bread from heaven, manna. He said, every day, I'm going to give you this bread from heaven. You go out, you pick your portion for the day, you eat it, and your tummies will be fine. What a God. So they get this bread from heaven, but in Exodus chapter 17, they were not satisfied with bread from heaven. At Meribah, you know what they do? They say, yeah, we got bread, but we need water. As if God's not going to give them the water they need. They, they start complaining. Exodus chapter 17, 1 and 2, it says that, that, that they were uh, griping, complaining, crybabying around with God. And, and Moses said, have you lost your ever-loving mind? Don't test God. Have you learned nothing? Don't you see who he is? So God gave them water from a rock. In the same way, the Pharisees were, now they saw the bread fall from heaven. 
They saw Jesus multiply the loaves and the fishes. But that wasn't enough for them. And the problem was they just determined that they weren't going to believe in, in Jesus. They refused to believe in him. Because believing in Jesus meant that they would have to give something up that they didn't want to give up. They had to give up control. They had to give up their tradition. They had to give up their, their earning, more, their, their way to heaven with their own moral code of uh, conduct. And the reason I suggest that maybe, perhaps, um, in this room there are some of us uh, who are refusing to believe in Jesus because you find far more comfort in getting to heaven by what you do and what you say and how you act than you do trusting in God and his provision for heaven through the person of Jesus Christ. You won't say it that way, but in your life, you have never relinquished control to Jesus. You never really repented your sin because you're acting like you don't have any. And you never trusted him for your eternity because you can get there with your own two hands. That's the Pharisees. They refuse to believe. And so as Jesus gets in the boat, he, by the way, Jesus says, you're not going to get a sign. You've had enough. So as he turns to leave, he gets in the boat, and, and the disciples are, 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 are captured with a loaf of bread. So again, with the irony full in our minds, they've just seen Jesus feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. They've seen Jesus feed 4,000 with seven loaves and a few fish, and here they are in the boat thinking, oh my goodness, we only have one loaf of bread. What are we going to do? And so Jesus takes this opportunity to teach his disciples. He says, here's a stern warning for you. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. What is the leaven of the Pharisees and the Herod? It is a hard heart created by our unbelief. See, as followers of Christ, here's what happens. When Jesus becomes so familiar to us, we will kind of forget who he is. Even as followers of Christ, what we'll start doing is we'll start focusing on our one loaf of bread as if that's the only source of provision that we have in life. And Jesus says, stop fixating on this one loaf of bread and start fixating on the bread of heaven who is right before you, Jesus Christ. For many of us here today, we are fixated on that one loaf of bread. We're fixated on the things that we don't have. I mean, all, we're, just, we're just all consumed with, with the things we want or wish we had and don't have. We're worried about, the, about our future because we only have one loaf of bread. How are we going to be uh, nourished? How are we going to be taken care of? What's going to happen to us? Now, those are common concerns, and I'm not making a lot of them, but I'm just kind of sharing. Don't allow that little leaven of the Pharisees and Herod seep into your soul. So you have Jesus in the stern of the boat with you. And if Jesus is there, there's no reason to fear. If Jesus is there, listen, there's no reason to worry. If Jesus is there, 
we know victory is on its way. Here's what Jesus said to the disciples. After he gave the warning, verse 17, Jesus being aware of, they're, they're still fixated on the bread. He said, why do you reason because you have no bread? Don't you uh, yet perceive or understand? Is your heart still hardened? Okay, so now he wants to give them steps to uh, keep away from a hardened heart. These are the steps that you and I need to listen to. Verse 18, having ears do you not, uh, having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how, uh, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said 12. And when I broke seven to the, for the 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said seven. And he said, how is it that you don't get it? Today, let's get it. Let's not allow our hearts to be hardened with unbelief. But when the storms are raging, let's stand firm in our faith in Jesus Christ, the wave walker and the wind tamer. When things get challenging for us in the circumstances of our every day, when the cupboard is bare, let's have confidence and faith in Jesus Christ, the bread from heaven. When the well runs dry, let's have confidence in Jesus Christ, the fountain of living waters. When our hearts turn cold, Let's run into the embrace of Jesus Christ, the lover of our soul. Three simple things I want to encourage us to do today to escape this little leaven of unbelief. First, focus on Jesus. The disciples were focused on the loaf of bread. Jesus said, look at me. Hey, listen, easiest thing in the world is for us to stay focused on our problem. How about let's focus on Jesus, who can actually give solutions to our problem. Easiest thing in the world is to fixate. We only have one loaf of bread. But as followers of Christ, let's have faith and let's set our gaze upon Jesus Christ, the bread from heaven. I've got, I've got to tell you something, folks, and, and this is something that, that is prominent in my heart, and I, I want everybody to hear this. When it comes to the finances of this church, I'm concerned. I am, certainly. And we, we've got to make some hard choices. We've got to do some hard things. And, but I've got to tell you, Jesus is on his throne, and I'm going to focus on him. And so should you. Do you realize that uh, we may have a shortfall, but 51 people came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now you can, listen, and I know this, I know some of you are going to get irritated but because I'm saying this. You can cry baby all you want about the shortfall in the budget. But heaven's rejoicing over the 51 people who came to know Jesus Christ, so let's join heaven in its applause. Okay, so we're going to focus on Jesus. Secondly, we're going to listen to the promises that Jesus makes. Do you realize that Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Do you believe that? Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Do you believe that? 
Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and life. He who believes in me will never hunger. Who trusts in me will never thirst again. Do you believe that? Friends, it is time for us to trust in the promises of, God, uh, of Jesus Christ. And when he says he is this, let's take him at his word and trust him and live like it. We need to be found faithful in listening to the promises that he makes. Can I just, again, humbly suggest that the only way this church is going to really be in trouble is if we decide that the mission that Jesus has called us to fulfill is not worthy of our time. That's what gets us in trouble. But as long as we listen to his promise, you know, it was to Peter he said, upon this confession, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter said, where are we, we going to go but to you, Jesus? You have the words of life. Jesus said, upon this rock, this one confession that we take not just for ourselves but to everyone else, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. As long as we're faithful to that, friends, I believe that God will be faithful to us. So let's trust Jesus listening to his promises. And then finally, in your own personal life and in mine, we need to remember the cross. Guys, that's what we did last week, and I've just got to tell you, I think this changes our perspective. We can wring our hands and worry over the difficulties that we, can fa that we face each day, but we need to remember what Jesus has done for us. We need to remember the cross. If Jesus gave his life for us, don't you know he will give his life each day for us? Jesus is faithful, so let's trust him. Remember the cross. Remember the salvation that Jesus purchased for you. Set your gaze upon that. Here's what Jesus has done for me. He picked me up out of the miry pit and out of the clay. And he picked me up out of the, uh, out of the uh, diseased life and decayed life that I had as a sinner. And he gave me new life through his own death on the cross. He gave me new life and a new hope and a fresh perspective so that I can live each day in spiritual victory, not in the doldrums of despair. Today, I live victoriously, following after Jesus, my Savior and King. Therefore, Paul wrote, my beloved brethren, because we have this victory that Jesus is giving us each day, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the labor of the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain. Guys, if we set our focus upon the cross every single day, then we will have hope to accompany our faith, and we will walk in victory. Three steps. Jesus gave them to us through questions he asked. Having eyes to see, don't you see? Oh, friends, let's see today. Having ears to hear, don't you hear? Oh, let's unplug our ears and hear. Do you not remember? Today's the day for us to remember. Oh, his forgiving love has changed my life. And today, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us.
Let's live that way. The disciples were in the boat. They only had one loaf of bread. And Jesus was saying, hey, guys, the bread from heaven is sitting right here. Let's focus on the bread from heaven.